Good morning, family. Uh, so excited to get into the Gospel of Mark together. Um, last night, kind of um, impromptu, Jolene and Mary and I went to see a movie. And um, I guess most movies still do this. They start with previews. So you can see a, a, an anticipating picture of what's coming in a future movie, right? I guess when I was growing up, that was a big deal. Now it's kind of passe because you can just get a trailer anytime, online, whatever. So, um, But it made me think, it's like, be cool if there was a trailer on the Book of Mark. And then I was like, oh, I wish I could just wave a magic wand. I have, you know, the creativity that my son has in his pinky. I might have my whole body, you know, that kind of. I was like, I wish I could just make one. And then the Lord kind of showed me, well, there actually is one. There's a, tra- did you, there's a trailer for the book of Mark in Scripture. I'm like, okay, work with me, okay, family? Like, you have to help me out here. Minimal creativity, but let's lean in. I want you to hear this trailer out of the book of Mark, or for the book of Mark, sorry, out of Acts. And it actually comes from Peter. So I don't know if you know this, but Peter is likely the author of the book of Mark. It's well-attested. Scholars have studied. Let's say a little bit more about that in a second. But Peter is recounting in Acts chapter 10, verse 36. As for the word that he sent to Israel, and before I read any further, use your imagination to fill in the preview, Okay. Like all, all the things that you think of in previews, right? Starts with a dark screen, deep bass, right? And, and kind of in a world where, you know, yeah, exactly. Everyone's like, oh yeah, that's exactly what all the, pre- they all have these formulas, right? So like, and then, then scenes start to flash. So Peter's going to flash some scenes here because he was there. He was there. He was a witness and he's accounting for it for us. So here's the preview for Mark. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he's Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness through his name. Fade to black. Closed trailer. Family, we're going to spend six months studying this book. What a privilege and what a joy. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The story of his life. And Peter was there. John Mark helped write Peter's recollections for this. This probably was written during a time when the Romans were persecuting the church, the Roman Emperor Nero. I know that none of the guys here have been thinking about the Roman Empire, but it was probably the Roman persecution. It was likely that this gospel was actually the first gospel. 
It's very likely it was the first gospel. And it's very, if you, if, I want to encourage you all to read it. We, we are always going to be posting the scriptures we preach from now on. Like we start doing this through uh, over the summer with Elisha and Elijah. Please, can I just ask you, don't just read it. Soak in it. Read it again and again and again. The scripture is amazing because I have had to prepare this to preach to you. I have been amazed at how much is there. It's 15 verses this morning. We can't cover it all. Like one of the things I'm just going to ask your understanding on behalf of all of us, and when we speak through this book, we cannot cover every picture that we're going to get. This book is like a traveling docudrama of Jesus. It says a little bit about what Jesus says, but it says more about what he does and how he moves. In fact, the chapter today is all about movement, coming and going and coming and going. And it's, there's all these pictures, and it's like we're going to be looking through a picture book, a memory book. For the old school among us, a scrapbook, right? And you look at some pictures, we're going to look at some more closely, some we're just going to gloss over. But it's so rich. So can I invite you, please, please, please read this. Please dig into it with us. It's an amazing montage of the life and the movement of Jesus. And he is singularly unexpected. He's an unexpected king. We chose this by design. An unexpected king. He was unexpected then. And in so many ways, he's unexpected now. I don't know about you. I've been a Christian for a long time. I'll say more about that, Lord willing, if I have time by the end. I've probably read this gospel probably a hundred times. I'm super familiar with this story. Do you know what I need? I need the unexpected Jesus. I need to see him again. I need that. Family, we need this. We need to come and anticipate being surprised. He's not what we think. He's not who we tend to box him into. Oh yeah, he's my savior. Oh yeah, he'll take care of this. He does do that, but it's so much more. That's what we're going to get in spades in Mark right away. The unexpected Jesus. Tim Keller says this in his excellent book, which I will highly recommend, The King's Cross. He says, Jesus' life, death, and resurrection form the central event of cosmic and human history, as well as the central organizing principle of our lives. The whole story of the world and how we fit into it is most clearly understood through a careful and direct look at the story of Jesus. King's Cross, highly recommend it. May the Spirit help us, family, to crack the crust of our dull familiarity. Can we come into this expecting the unexpected? expecting amazing news, life-changing news. And so that's what we're going to dive into this morning. Mark chapter 1, verse 1 through 15. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Read with me. Chapter 1, verse 1. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. 
and all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Verse 6, now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached saying, after me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days, verse 9, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. The spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness and he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals and the angels were ministering to him. Verse 14, now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. This is the word of the Lord for us this morning. And thanks be to God. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. You guys remember when Pat was preaching to us the first message on 2 Peter 1? He said, you know what? We need to shift. We're in a different part of scripture now. We were, we were in, a, in the summer with, with, with kings and past like the, the airplane. I'll never forget it. It was so good. Because it's like Peter's saying, I need you guys to pay attention to me. I'm going to remind you some stuff now. It's really important. Okay, we're shifting scripture here. We're in now the gospel. And Mark is taking off. It is a traveling docudrama. But he comes in with some powerful and massive assertions that we religious types can overlook very quickly. The beginning of the gospel, I'm already glazing over. I got one. I'm say more about gospel in a second. The son of, the, of Jesus Christ, the son of God. That is a massive assertion. Right up front, very first words. Not just the Messiah, not just the anointed one, son of God. Here. Just asserted it. Unapologetically, no hesitation whatsoever. And then he gets right into the story. As it said, he refers back to Isaiah's prophecy, prophesying about John. And John, verse 4, just appears. This, this, this book is going to be characterized by these just action, quick, sudden things. It uses words like immediately, now. Check, check the number of times you see the word and at the beginning of a sentence when you're reading this book. As you read the chapters, it's so many times. There's some real, real, real movement here. So John appears, and what is John doing? Baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And then it goes on in strange detail. What he's wearing and what he's eating. Where have we heard some of that before, just this summer? Do you remember in our study of Elijah, what was Elijah wearing? Camel's hair and eating honey and locusts. So John is clearly echoing Elijah. And it's interesting that in the Lord's sovereignty, I wish we could say we planned all this, guys. 
we're just not that good, okay? So <laughs> we're just not. If the Spirit is helping us and leading us. But we studied Kings, and now we've studied 2 Peter, which is Peter's recollection and encouragement to us. Make every effort. Lean into the salvation that you hold. And now we're reading his witness of the gospel together. It's amazing. So John appears, and he's preaching this forgiveness, repentance, repentance. He calls people to repentance. It seems that repentance is consistently paving the way for God's work. He's preparing the way. It says, prepare your way. The, the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make your path straight. In prayer this morning, Eric was just saying, may the Lord do that for us, making the path between our hearts and him straight. Amen. Amen. It's not just, this isn't just a story that's out there. It is that, but it's real. It is ancient, but it's also now. It was unexpected then. Let us, let us expect him now. John is preaching a baptism of repentance. It's a simple message, but it's interesting. The people that are, it's not just that John is preaching. It says, John appears preaching a baptism, and then it says, people are coming, confessing sin. So you have John appearing, preaching, and you have people coming, confessing sin. I wonder what it was like. I do. I wonder what it was like. Were they just like, hi, uh, uh, I robbed the bank last week. Can I be baptized? And I'm being a little bit facetious, but my point is we read over this and we skip right of there. That's us. This is us. You want to see yourself in the story? We always look for ourselves in the story. Here we are. We're coming to confess sin. Because do you know what? You can't repent if you're not confessing. How can you say, oh yeah, Lord, just forgive me for all that. How well would that work for your, you and your spouse? Yeah, just forgive me for all that. We're specific. We confess. There's, a, there's this demeanor of confessing. People were responding to him. It's beautiful. So they're confessing. And his message is quite simple. He's like, I'm baptizing you with water, but there's someone else coming. I'm just preparing the way. Do you understand everyone who's coming? And do we understand? He's preparing the way. There is someone coming after me who is so much greater. So then we have, and here he comes in verse nine. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth. He comes from Galilee, this backwater, literally, and is baptized by John in the Jordan. Please don't read over the, the words quickly. What is happening? He is baptized. Why was John baptizing the other people? For their sins to forgive them for, their, for repentance that so they needed to come to confess. Did Jesus need to come to confess anything? He had no sin of which to repent. And he comes to John and is baptized in the Jordan. Do we remember from Kings who was baptized in the Jordan to be cleansed of his leprosy? Naaman. There was need there. Everyone else in all of human history up till this time has had the need. But this man... Did not, and yet he comes, and he's baptized by John in the Jordan. This is not a box-checking exercise. This is an absolute identification of this unexpected king, and the way he is coming, and the way he is announcing himself is saying this, I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm with you to this level of humiliation, the filthy Jordan. Remember, Naaman didn't want to get in the Jordan. 
He didn't want to. There's probably a reason for that. But Jesus, in his profound humility, is baptized in the Jordan. We have not had the opportunity to have baptisms. It's been too long. And I know a number of you have already asked and want to be baptized. We are appealing. We might be able to do it here. Um, But can I just encourage you, if you have not been baptized, come and see us. We want to do baptisms. Because baptism, it's, it's an opportunity for us to, just like we do communion, we'll do communion later today, to rehearse the beauty of this statement of faith. Yes, Lord, I need you. Yes, Lord, you identify with us, I'm identifying with you. I go under the water, I simulate my death, I come out of the water simulating new life, representing that. That's what it is. That's what it is. It's beautiful. The confession of sin and the stepping into that, guys, this, this is not like some um, overworked um, liturgy or Catholic ritual of just like, uh, you know, uh, pur- purgatory and confession. This is like, this is hope. This is a pathway for hope. This is joy. This is good news. We'll say more about that. But it is humility, isn't it? It is humility. I'm going to get dunked in the water. Yeah. Jesus did. Jesus did. And then, oh man, what an unexpected team, uh, a king. He comes up out of the water. Now, it's almost like, so here's, here's where, again, Eric's the filmmaker. I'm not the filmmaker. But I can imagine a close-up, a camera angle. As Jesus comes, he came and, was, and it just says he was baptized. But then verse 10, it says, and when he came up out of the water, this is what I mean. He, it, Mark, Peter, in his recollection, Mark writing it down, is saying, look, as he comes up out of the water, what happens? Immediately, he saw the heavens opening and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son. This, these few verses are absolutely tectonic about our unexpected king. He, in the moment of his profound humility of identifying with us in our flesh and in our wickedness, though he had nothing of himself to confess, nothing of himself of which to repent, he identifies with us. And as he comes up out of the water, what happens? Voice from heaven, the Father declaring him, his beloved Son. Look at Psalm 29, the voice of the Lord over the waters. The Lord sits enthroned as king forever. The spirit settles on him, fluttering or hovering like a dove. These are similar words, and they echo back to the very beginning, not just the beginning of the gospel, the beginning of creation, when the spirit hovered over the face of the waters. The Trinity, God three in one, is present here deliberately and actively at the beginning of the gospel. God spoke, the spirit came upon him. Jesus, the word made flesh by whom everything has been made. If the world, Keller says, if Tim Keller says, if the world was made by a triune God, relationships of love are what life is all about. And that's what Jesus is turning our attention to. This isn't about do this, do that. It is about, I'm here for you. And I'm not just here to do something for you. I'm here to claim you, to take you back to myself. Boy, that is good news. We, since the fall, have been a disintegrated people. Disintegrated from our creator. Curving in on ourselves. Selfishness characterizes 
the core, it's, it's, it's just fundamental. You don't have to teach a kid to be selfish. They just, they just are. And we get more sophisticated about it, but that's actually what, what happens. But Jesus says, no, he's here to relate to us. And not just to relate to us in theory or from a distance. No, I'll take on flesh. No, I'll identify with you. I'm going to come alongside and I'm going to restore relationship. Absolutely beautiful. So, we are, I mean, we, these are unbelievable high points already, but we're not done. We're not done. What happens next? Verse 12. Okay, let's just totally unexpected here. The father just spoke to him in a voice from heaven. The spirit flutters and settles on him like a dove. Don't know if it was an actual dove, what it was, but it was written down. There was something there. Supernatural, powerful. Yes. I would expect that Jesus now being designated as clearly the son of God who was referenced in verse one would now take some steps to assert that reign, draw attention. What happens next? The spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. All right, the movie director that I wish I could be in my, like, would be like, uh, now that's not the right order of this plot. Let's rethink this a little bit. We're going to lose the audience. You know, like, help, help us out here. Like, what? What? Is anybody else with me? What? Like, seriously. And it says, the, it wasn't like Jesus, like, wandered his way out. It, the Spirit drove him into the wilderness. What is going on? evidently it's unexpected. And I just want to pause here and just seize on. We have now read twice in verse 10, immediately. Verse 12, immediately. Mark uses this word 40 times. There's action. There's movement. It's immediate. Immediately the Spirit. It wasn't like a pause. You come out of the water. Here's a high point. All these expectations immediately goes to the wilderness. Why? He was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. We get no details in this gospel what that was. Mark and Luke both cover in detail what those temptations were. Some of you may be familiar with them. Why are they not here? Why here is it only this? At least one reason is Peter wasn't there. So he's recounting what he saw. I think that's at least part of the answer. But I think part of it too is, again, the emphasis in this gospel is what Jesus is doing. His action is movement, less the speaking component. There are speaking components. But for example, you don't get the Sermon on the Mount in Mark. You won't get the lengthy like farewell discourse that we get in John where he speaks for four or five chapters uninterrupted. We don't get that here. It's the travel docudrama. It's really, really focused on what he's doing. So what he's doing is following the lead of the Spirit. The Spirit is driving him into the wilderness to fast and to fight. To fast and to fight. So for 40 days. Again, nothing is accidental in Scripture and nothing is throwaway. Why 40 days? Who else do we know in Scripture who has fasted for 40 days? Anybody? Moses and Elijah, I think, are the only ones who Scripture specifically points out fasted for 40 days. Moses is always representing the law, God's rules, his ceremonial rules and his moral rules, how, we can be, how people can be with him, especially in, in the in Old Testament times. And then Elijah is always representing the prophets, all the hope and promise that they bring. So it's, it's not an accident that when Jesus is driven into the wilderness and is fasting, there's reference to these characters. As subtle as it may be, that's a powerful point. 
40 days. You know, we're going to, Joel was saying, we get to fast together as a church, not this, this week, the next week. Thank God it's not 40 days. <laughs> like, there's no way that's going to happen. I'm sure that's probably not safe. But for us, 48 hours, family, let's do this. Can I invite you? Let's do this. Let's lean in together. The Lord has met us. I think part of what we're celebrating with young adults and just the fruit and the joy that we're having week in, week out here, are, it's not credit to us, but I think the Lord uses and draws us in prayer and fasting. So can I just foot stomp? Let's fast. Let's fast together. Whatever it is, fast part of a meal. Fast, fast some kind of food group. Fast your social media. Please, definitely do that. Do it permanently. It's good. Um, <laughs> But Jesus fasted and he fought. He went into the wilderness and it says he was with the wild animals. I honestly don't know completely what to make of that. Other than to say the picture that Mark is quickly writing down for us from Peter's recollection or that he was alone. No one was with him. It says the angels were ministering to him. That means nobody humanly could help him. Isaiah 43 says, I will make a way in the wilderness. Jesus is beginning to make a way. He's obeying where we couldn't and he needed no help to do so because he was the son of God. Absolutely amazing. Now what happens? Well, he comes back. So again, I said there's going and coming. John appears, Jesus comes, Jesus goes, Jesus comes again. He comes back, verse 14, after John was arrested. Jesus came into Galilee, back into this backwater. Not the capital, gets there eventually, but a backwater, a quiet area, literally the Sea of Galilee, backwater, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. This is a summary of his message. This is a summary. In fact, this is the first time Jesus speaks. Did you notice? Of all this time, this is, now we're getting to hear him speak. And the whole flow of this traveling docudrama and story has teed up this moment so that we can now see what is he going to be about. We heard the voice of the Lord, the spirit falling off into the wilderness, 40 days. Where was he? He comes back. Here's the message. Here's the summary. Here is the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ the Son of God. And what is it? What is it? The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. This is the third time in this short passage that we have heard this word, the gospel. How many people have heard the word, the gospel before? Real hands. Yeah, okay. Fair number. Okay. Very familiar with this word. Some of us. Like I said, too familiar. Eyes glaze over the gospel. How many have heard the term preach the gospel to yourself? Again, that's a good thing. I don't want to demean it at all. I'm just saying, let's pause on this word since it showed up here three times and it's the beginning of the gospel and let's reimagine and reconsider together. What are we expecting when Jesus said, this is his core message and he says this word, proclaiming the gospel, proclaiming the gospel. Gospel means good news. You probably heard that. But it actually more accurately would be interpreted as news that brings joy. The force of the original language is that it's better, better understood that way. News that brings joy. It's not just good. It's news that brings joy. 
And did you know that in the original times when this word was used, it was used in entirely secular contexts. There's evidence of Roman literature speaking about Roman emperors and political activity that use the word gospel. That was the way it was understood. We have religious, we have kind of taken a religious perspective on this. But my point is to help us to grasp when Jesus says, proclaiming the gospel of God, he is proclaiming news that brings joy, life-changing news, history-making news. Did you know that the Christian faith is about this news? More than what we do, more than a list of X, Y, and Z, do these things, check these boxes, be a Christian. No, listen, it's news. Do you believe it? That's what he gets to. This is news, history-making, life-changing. How does this start? The time is fulfilled. Why is the time fulfilled? Because Jesus is here. All the things that the prophets had, had been prophesying, basically the sum of all human hope up until this time, of all redemptive history, the king is here. Is he unexpected? Oh, yeah. He just spent 40 days in the wilderness. What's up with that? I don't even know. But he's here. And he says, the time is fulfilled. We're going to see what this means. He's going to unpack it. We're getting the little, the, the initial, right? This is the summary. Everything the law pointed to through Moses, everything the prophets promised, again, represented by Elijah, Jesus, the unexpected king now embodies. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand because Jesus is king. That's why the kingdom is at hand. He's king. And he's come. Is he unexpected? Yes, he is. Yes, he is. But here we are. You know, we, we live in the D.C. area. And um, it's easy for us who are here that it's just passe. It's entirely passe to go downtown. Like, oh yeah, the monument's there. The White House is over here. But if you go with someone who hasn't been here and take them and just look at the city through their eyes, there's just that wow, oh yeah, I forgot. This is a pretty cool place. You know, like, there's just that sense. I think there's something of that here that we need to like bring. Again, Jesus, the unexpected king, he is proclaiming this message. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. May the Lord help us to not be familiar. And then because the time is fulfilled, because the kingdom is at hand, what does he call us to do? Now, for the first time in this whole passage, we get other than the confessing sins, which is an allusion to what we should be doing. They're actually connected. He calls us to something. It's in Daniel Aiken in his commentary in this passage, he calls these words present imperatives for the English teachers among us. That means you do it and you keep on doing it. And what are the imperatives? Repent and believe. Repent and believe. Repent and keep on repenting. Believe and keep on believing. That's the message. That's what, in light of the good news, in light of the time being fulfilled, in light of the kingdom of God being at hand, what are we to do? Repent. Turn away from your sin. Trust in the Lord. Believe. Believe in him. That's what it's all about. That is what it is. I, I, I struggled here to like, how can I illustrate this? How can I share from my own life ever so briefly? Ever so briefly. I don't have time to give you my whole testimony. But what does it look like for me? to repent and believe. Well, you know what I first remember? Inter interconnecting with, interfacing with the Lord. I was only six. My mom took me to a little faith club with this lady who just loved the Lord and she just taught kids in her house after school. And I don't even remember what she said, but I remember hearing the gospel. 
And I remember getting baptized in her pool thereafter. I started that process. Did I even know what the word repent meant at the time? Probably not, let's be honest. But that wasn't the only interaction with the Lord. Later, I was definitely filled with the Spirit. Spoke in tongues as a seven-year-old. Another story, another time. But then I grew up, and I hit junior high, and I went with friends to see movies I wasn't supposed to see, and I felt really guilty about it. I'm like, what is this? Well, what does a life of repenting and believing look like? Because you don't do it once and walk away. You lean into that. Christians repent. We live lives of repentance. Family, I am here now, with you now. This is for me, not just for you. It's for all of us. We live lives of, up, lives of ups and downs. I love the, the sense in worship of just the Lord calling us to admit we need him. Admit our weakness. To confess, much of that, not all of it, but much of it is actually sinful. When we have given in to greed, anxiety, lust, anger, worry, fear, shame of our doubts, shame of I'm not affectionate enough for the Lord. I'm not doing as much as I should be doing. Oh, guys, that's me. We repent and we believe because the Lord calls us in light of the gospel a light of the good news, this life-changing and history-making and bringing joy, repent and believe. Yeah, Isn't it so simple? Yeah. It's not easy, but it's simple. And this is the lives we're called to lead. And in fact, the next part of this chapter, Eric's going to get to preach for us next week, Jesus starts to show us what it looks like. What's it going to look like? That the time is fulfilled, the kingdom is here, and people repenting and believing. Mark consistently brings his camera angle in on how people respond to Jesus. Can I invite us to respond to him now? Let's stand.